You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, The Docket. That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. That's the real magic of the movies, and don't let anybody tell you this. By the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? Welcome to The Docket, Binge Media's new show. Um, the Docket is a show where we watch a film that one person hasn't seen. It's been on their docket for a long time. The other person's very familiar with and uh, we kind of get on a podcast here and we talk it out and see how we both feel about the movie and, uh, you know, see how we feel after the conversation. So, I'm Jack. I'm joined today by one of the binge lords himself, Jim Law. What's going on, man? What's going on, sir? You know, not a ton, man. Um, so, we, uh, we're, we've been doing a lot of these docket shows and... You know, just for a little background on how we came up with the lists here, each of us kind of made a list of, of films that we haven't seen, said, here's our docket, we threw it out to the other guys, and we said, hey, here's my list, go ahead and put your name next to a movie, and we'll do that movie, right? So, I've done a few of these, Law, I know you've done a few of them as well, and I really tried to focus on movies for each of the other person's dockets that I feel like they're not going to watch unless we do this show, right? Mm. Um, you know, for for Alex and Pete's picks, they were two movies that I I really had to do some heavy lifting, I think, to get um, to get them on board with them in some respects. Um, I expect the same here. Um, and when I chose this movie, I I was really excited to be able to choose this because I've always wanted to talk about this movie on a podcast. I feel like it gets overlooked. I feel like people don't um, don't want to give it the time of day because there's a lot stacked against it. The film's Amadeus. In law, you put it on your docket. So I got to know, why is this on your docket? And what do you know about it? Okay, well, in that said meeting, when we decided all of these, um, and I've talked about this on other shows, I, I struggled for a bit to really come up with films that and like i know what you're saying like this this has been on my docket but it's not a film that i have been like oh i gotta watch this like i I need a reason to watch this isn't that film okay like it it never has been um i just haven't seen it basically that's why it's on my docket um so i started thinking and again i know this question's coming i know why it's on my docket and i had to i had to like why is this on my docket let me go look at when this came up all right so I'm 10 years old. This is 1984. Okay. I had no interest in seeing Amadeus when I was 10 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's right. That's an easy answer. Sure. So a little farther into it, I was like, all right, well, just just to be clear, like, what what was I doing in 1984? Like, obviously, like this is the year of fucking Gremlins, and then, and then like uh, Police Academy, romancing oh, yeah. stuff fucking uh indian jones temple of doom ghostbusters terminator conan like there's a lot of stuff going on in 84 and i think oh this is this was uh the fucking best picture 84 
So what the fuck, uh, what else was up for Best Pitcher in 84? I look at all the Best Pitchers nominated. I mean, let me name them for you. Amadeus, Places in the Heart, A Soldier's Story, The Killing Fields, A Passage in India. Jack, it turns out you could have picked any of the nominees yeah. for 1984 and <laughs> presented them today because I have not seen a single one of those films. Yep. Yep. I'm a different person when I'm 10 years old. I didn't give a fuck about any of these films. I didn't, they were, I don't even, I don't even know. So I've never even heard of a couple of them. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've never heard of Places in the Heart. I, I, I've heard of The Killing Field. I've heard of Passage to India. I heard of Amadeus. I don't know about, maybe Soldier Store and Place Store. I don't know what these movies are. I don't even know what they are. Yep. This is why this is on my docket. Um, I was, you know, way more into, I'm 10 years old. So yeah, my parents are divorced. My dad's picking me up every weekend. I'm going to see the movie. The movie I'm picking is never going to be Amadeus. Mm-hmm. So that's that takes place of that. That you know that takes care of that time in my life when this came up. I always like to find out what I was doing when the movie came up. So sure. here we are, very many years later, <laughs> um, thirty-five years later. I still haven't watched Amadeus. Why haven't I fucking watched Amadeus? It's just something I felt like uh, does not interest me whatsoever mm-hmm. i am not a guy i know the name mozart i've heard mozart's music well probably through film and television mm-hmm. i've never sat down and listened to a mozart cd or, or digital recording or anything to that effect it is a film that quite honestly john held no interest to me whatsoever until I found a reason to watch mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and that now that is right now. Excellent, excellent. So you know, my relationship with this movie was this was one that um, was back in the days of Columbia House DVDs. Okay, um, cool. we had a Columbia House subscription, and I was amassing the beginnings of my DVD collection. Um, the year had to have been. After 2004, okay, so somewhere between like maybe 2004 and 2006, I got my hands on this. Um, At the time, I was going nuts on the IMDb Top 250 and the AFI Top 100 movies of all time. Did you you blind buy this? I did. I did. But at the time, that doesn't mean a ton because at the time I was blind buying a lot of stuff. Um, I was trusting in those two lists. I was saying, okay, if it's on here... Then, you know, I I work, I don't have any bills because I'm a kid, so I'm just going to take that money and spend it on movies. And I'm going to, I'm really going to invest and learn in this because at the time I was going the Tarantino route, I wanted to learn film by watching film. So that was what I was thinking at the time. Whether or not that was the right move, well, I, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But that's what, at that time, I thought that's what was right. So, um, yeah. That's interesting because I, I feel like I went through that stage too when when there was uh, DVD rentals through mail. You know, mm-hmm. I was doing, and I was kind of doing the same thing. You like, let me watch all the classics I've never watched. What I'm interested in, what percentage of this plan that you had, this this uh, this this like stage in your life, worked out for you? Like, mm-hmm. did you love the films as compared to the ah, fuck? Why did I waste money on that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was probably like a seventy percent hit rate for a while there. In all honesty, Um, there was a lot of stuff I really loved. There was some stuff that popped up that I just, I was like, that's, 
that is, uh, I don't know, Tootsie? Like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there were a bunch of them that were like that. But um, the thing that was in Amadeus's favor for me was I loved Cuckoo's Nest. I think at the time it was probably one of my top ten movies. And I had seen that. I had seen Man on the Moon, which I really liked. And this is Milos Forman who directed this. There was something enticing about, like, the cover of the movie and the mystery of it. At the time, yeah, IMDb existed, but, like, there wasn't a ton of information about every movie the way there is now, you know? Um, That website was kind of in its infancy. And then, you know, a certain website, which we won't name, and a certain forum um, was, like, another source of information for me, right? So I I was really kind, kind of trying to piece together what I could about these movies. And this one had an air of mystery to it. You know, when I bought the Pulp Fiction DVD, it was a black case with a woman's eyes on it. Now I know it's Uma Thurman, but, like, there was mystery behind that cover. You know, like, I didn't know anything about that movie. And then that just blew the doors off for me. Amadeus was similar, where, like, even the back of the the case, it had a couple stills from the movie, and it was like, oh, you know, F. Murray Abraham, Oscar-winning, blah, 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 and just, like, nothing I recognized. Um... So I think that catered to my interest in it at first. Um, but I've I've seen this movie, you know, easily a dozen times over the years. Um, and without getting too far into it, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Because I, I, I'm going to say this probably again later, but I feel as though this movie is represented horribly. It has a shit trailer. Um, I think most people who look and see what it is... They immediately assume, oh, okay, that's like a period piece drama. I'm out because I don't give a fuck about wigs and dresses, right? And it's it's about opera. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't give a fuck about opera. It doesn't matter to me. I, I don't care for Mozart's music. I, it's like you said. I'm familiar with it through movies, but I couldn't really pick out more than one tune of his. It means nothing to me. It's a name, you know? But that's not what this movie's about to me. Um So, before I go crazy into this any deeper, I just want to read off some of the awards that this got. Okay, so, 1984, Academy Awards that it won, all right? Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Leading Role, which went to F. Murray Abraham, but Tom Hulse was also nominated. Mm -hmm. Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Makeup, and Sound, okay? Golden Globes, Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, and it was also nominated for a lot of other stuff. Um... As of yesterday, uh, IMDb Top 250, this is film number 84 on the list. And on the AFI Top 100 Movies of All Time, it's number 53 on the most recent incarnation. So this movie has not lost its uh, quote-unquote luster in, in, like, the public eye, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it just, I don't know why, but it, it, it's, it's, I just think it's not advertised properly. It doesn't, the way that I think about this movie is not the perception of it through, like, the advertising for it, um, if that makes sense. But oh, um, I, it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Now that you've seen it, but um, so before we get into the movie very much, I just want to have like a couple couple details about you first. Okay. So I know a little bit about your interests in movies. I don't know a ton about your interest in music. So like. Do you have a relationship with music outside of just listening to it? Like, have you ever played an instrument? And and maybe, like, a couple of your favorite groups or, or even, like, a couple songs? Um, 
so yeah, I mean, everyone's played an instrument, right? In grade school, I played sure. drums for a couple of years. Mm. It didn't. Uh, it never went anywhere. You know, once I didn't have to do it, I didn't do it anymore. So no, I don't play an instrument. Yeah. Um, musically, yeah, I mean, I you know, I was uh, in my twenties in the nineties. Um, that scene took over, you know, a lot of my life. Mm. Um, I love that era. I love Foo Fighters. I love Green Day. I love um the beastie boys um you know that that grunge era and then also now that i'm older i kind of go i've I've fallen back into like what i grew up with with my dad around and like uh classic rock is basically what i listen to if i have satellite radio i i'm either on um lithium or or uh you know uh, 80s 90s and that's it like uh, i love seeger i love you know shit like that like yeah Credence, like it's just all, it's just all classic rock and shit like that. Um, now with my kids, my music has opened up a lot. Hits one's always on fucking thing, so sure. I know who all these people are. I don't really, but I know their songs. If I could, if I saw them, I wouldn't know who they are. So, um, but no, I mean, music is a big part. We we have the Google Nest in the kitchen, so there's music every night at dinner, and um, there's fights about what to play, and uh, it's a big part of my life. But no, it's not. It's not something I focus on so mm-hmm. much. I don't look forward to a new release. I don't look forward to a new drop of uh, someone's new albums dropping. Like th- that is not something that uh, I'm obsessed with in any way whatsoever. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, nice. Yeah, I just I kind of wanted to ask that before we get into this because the, the obviously the film is so music centric. A lot of where my uh, love for it comes from is like its approach to that. So just kind of wanted to set the table a little bit. Um, and just before we jump into that, I mean, is there anything, you know, speaking from the perspective of, um, you know, let's imagine that you haven't watched the movie yet. You're going into this. Is there anything that you're hoping to get out of this movie or do you have any expectations whatsoever walking into it? So going into it. Um, so I, I knew a little bit about it just from basically visuals. I've, I've never seen a single Second of, I mean, I probably have over the years, but I, I don't remember. I didn't retain on any of it. Um, I was hoping, like, you know, I like I said, I'm familiar with with Mozart. I guess like throughout the years of hearing all his music being used in other uh, other media outlets. So maybe I get a little history about that. You know, maybe I get the, uh, the I know that he's a, a, a prodigy, a genius. Uh, like he's he's revered as one of the greatest musicians that's ever lived. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know if I'm hoping. Mm. I don't know. The question was hoping. I'm, I guess that is. I guess that is what I'm hoping that I just get to uh, appreciate the mind of a genius to see how this all came about. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, so just to throw that out the window right off the hop, <laughs> this is not based on a true story whatsoever. Um, yeah. it, that's not true. It's, yeah. it's inspired by true events. Antonio Salieri did exist. He was a composer, but he was married. He had, uh, I believe he had a wife and I want to say a daughter. Unfortunately, they both died relatively young. He didn't have the rivalry that is created for this film with Mozart. He actually, um, I think it was Mozart tutored his kid or might've been the other way around. Um, so the, the whole artifice of this movie is, is made up. And it's based on a stage play um, by Peter Schaefer, who also wrote the screenplay. So the reality of what happened is not what they're after with this movie. 
Um, so that you can just kind of take and toss in the, the wastebasket, right? Um, but let me give you some stats on it first, and then we'll, we'll do a quick synopsis, and then we'll kind of get into it. So um, so the movie's directed by Milos Forman, who did Cuckoo's Nest, did, you know, like I said, Pe- People vs. Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, um, and this. He's done a few other films as well. Really well-respected director. Um, written by Peter Schaefer. Uh, starring F. Murray Abraham as Antonio Salieri. Uh, Tom Hulse as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Elizabeth Berridge as Constance uh, Mozart. Um, and one guy who I don't know if you realized was in this movie. But I want to play you a very short drop from this guy. And I want to see if you remember his name. Okay? So, let me give you this right here. Want to suck on this, your grace? Oh, no. That is Roy Detrice. He plays Mozart's father, and he was the guy who read the first three audiobooks for uh, Game of Thrones. Holy fuck. Are you serious? He also played the pyromancer in the Ghost of Harrenhal and Blackwater episodes from season two. Holy fuck, Jack, because I was in my notes. I already have that I really liked. Mozart's father in this film. Like this, <laughs> we'll get into we'll get into that a little bit later. But he that that was the thing. And how many times, if you listen to binge media, the love we have yes for this guy that reads these fucking mm-hmm. these audio, he is fucking incredible. He is in the Guinness Book of World Records for reading these books. He is unfucking believable. I cannot believe that's him. Oh, Wanna God, suck that's... on this, your grace? That's him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, there is one other person on the cast and crew that I wanted to mention who's really important. This was actually – I didn't mention it before because I didn't want to uh, – I kind of wanted to bury the lead a little bit. But this was one reason I was interested in this movie, okay? So, the makeup was done by Dick Smith. I'm sure you know Dick Smith. But for those at home who don't, Dick Smith – is a pioneer in the field of movie makeup. He was one of the first guys who realized the concept of layering individual latex pieces over certain curvatures of the face give you a more realistic look rather than like one sort of latex piece. Um, This is the guy who did Father Marin in The Exorcist. So he essentially told the future because he (laughs) made Max von Sydow at 40 – Look the way he did when he was 90 without actually time traveling. Um, he does the same thing here with F. Murray Abraham's character. I think just as masterfully. I, I don't know how you felt about that, but incredible performance. Um, it's, it, it's, funny you, it's funny you mentioned that, and it's funny that you actually used that comparison with Max von Sydow because I was thinking, watching him um, in this film, I was like, F. Murray Abraham I'm talking about, because this guy's been in a lot of shit, like, mm-hmm. like, lately, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can go out and find this guy, and it's still acting today. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at him in these old scenes, and literally I'm going, oh, does this guy... Like, now, I don't think he does so much... Like, the Mox von Sydow thing is amazing. Like, you're, you're dead on there. He does actually look like he was in The Exorcist, like, today. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. you could put him in this scene. He doesn't like, but I think there's a lot added here to the F. Murray Abraham thing. Like, I think it's making him because obviously where he is mm-hmm. in life, um, it hasn't been <laughs> it hasn't been going too well for him. Right. So I mean, the hair the hair is all fucking shaggy and all that kind of shit. But it's just interesting that you use that comparison because this is literally something I thought while watching the film. Mm. Like, I, I like that you you get these like you get these 
these actors that are still working today in these younger parts that have old makeup and you get to you get that chance to see how good that makeup is yeah especially with dick smith stuff and, and i don't know how many documentaries i've seen where tom savini or can or any of these guys who went on and made evil dead or coen brothers movies they all talk about yeah loved getting to work with dick smith or like learning about dick smith he, he's like one of the pillars of movie makeup um and special effects i have a clip of uh, F. Murray Abraham speaking a little bit to this and a little bit about, um, I think, Peter Schaefer at the end of this clip, too. So I'll give you this, and then we'll, we'll continue. Dick Smith is the best makeup man in the world. And uh, when we would start working in the morning, it was uh, 4 o'clock. I would get up. I'd get to the studio by 4.30. We'd work on the makeup for four and a half hours. As much preparation as I had made for the old man, the voice, the gestures, and so on. The fact is that after sitting for four and a half hours at that hour in the morning, you are kind of tired and slow, and your movements are kind of like this. This kind of thing starts to happen. And I also had lenses in my eyes, which every once in a while had to be removed, and my eyes had to be sprayed with stuff so that the pain, which was always there when I was working, would not be too much. Once I looked into a mirror at my face, I felt like it was completely convincing. All I had to do was believe this guy, and it was not hard. I'm not denigrating my work. I'm a very proud actor. But with a man like Dick Smith there, and with the words of Peter Schaffer, which are, they've got to be the most beautiful descriptions of music ever written. It was a little lower than I expected, but uh, hopefully you heard all that. But um, but yeah, I, I love how Abraham talks about Dick Smith and the whole process of putting the makeup on and then not having to do much with your acting because you just went through four hours in a chair to then go yeah. work like a 10-hour day and then probably another two or three hours to take it off at the end of the day. Um, so pretty interesting. And I, I, I don't know. I, I just love how that makeup looks. Like he... So like you said, he doesn't look exactly the way he does these days, but I think it's a great-looking character, um, and I buy it. I think it's an interesting performance. But uh, um, All right, so I broke down the plot here. Um, I'm going to fire through it real quick just so that we can get the, the bullet points out of the way here. So um, let me just run through. So this is set in the winter of 1823. An old man survives a suicide attempt, is committed to a psychiatric hospital due to his loudly confessing to the murder of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Um, the old man's revealed to be Maestro Antonio Salieri, who then recounts his life story to a priest who has come to absolve him of his sins. Um, throughout the story, you learn of Salieri's life as the court composer for the Viennese emperor um, and how Mozart becomes uh, part of his life, how he knew about Mozart as a child. He sacrificed his own chastity and his pleasure in life to be able to be a great composer and honor God. Um, however, when he meets Mozart as a man, Mozart is this like sinful person, very impulsive, very sloppy, um, sort of like slovenly person. He's played by Tom Hulse and Salieri becomes jealous of him. Um, and Mozart is this character who seems to love music and love what he does. And it comes to him effortlessly. And Salieri resents him because of the effort that it takes him to be um, the best and the fact that he can't achieve the the heights that Mozart does despite all the work that he puts in. Um, I pulled a clip from the movie 
This is Salieri describing Mozart's music. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes, so let me play this out. On the page, it looked nothing. The beginning simple, almost comic. Just a pulse, bassoons, basset horns, like a rusty squeeze box. <laughs> and then, suddenly, high above it, an elbow. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. So the one thing about that clip that it points out is that despite Salieri's hatred of Mozart, he cannot help but respect the music. Like, he understands how good the music is. And he actually resents God for giving him the ability to recognize how great it is, but not actually create it himself. Um, so, you know, without getting too far into it, he gets a resentment towards Mozart. He actually turns that into a hatred of God because he feels that Mozart's been sent to mock him from God. Um, Salieri formulates this plan to essentially destroy Mozart's life and, uh, you know, be able to force Mozart to write music that Salieri would then take as his own. Um, he uses his own fear, uh, Mozart's own fear of his father and his father, you know, after his father has died against him to force him to write this requiem that he anonymously pays him to, to write. Um, and Mozart's life sort of spirals into poverty, alcoholism, and uh, eventual death. Um, Mozart is, you know, um, buried in sort of a mass grave unceremoniously. And Salieri, at the end of the film, sees that as God mocking him for the final time. And, uh, you know, the priest who's with him then can't really believe the story. Salieri says, on oh, the patron saint of, of mediocrities. And uh, he kind of lives out the rest of his days as a mildly insane, jealous, bitter person <laughs> who hates God. Um and essentially can't see the tragedy of Mozart's life through the lens of what it is, which is just a tragedy of this great man, but rather take ownership for his death as a punishment upon himself from God. Um, there's a lot more to the story than that, but again, you have to watch these movies, not just listen to the docket on them. There's, there's a lot in there um, and a lot of back and forth. So plot-wise... What did you think of of the, what this movie ended up being? Um, did the did the revenge, the, the sort of vengeance against God aspect, work for you, or was that kind of a sour note? You you've already nailed a lot about what I loved about the story here, and it's all Salieri's telling mm -hmm. of it. Um, that clip you played just happens to be my favorite part of the film. Mm -hmm. The use of music. Yes. Of, up of the way he describes the piece he's reading is, is, is fucking unbelievable. It's it's just it's a fucking fantastic description. And, and again, going back to what I was expecting to see in this film, that is it kind of in a nutshell, him describing the brilliance of Mozart. Right. Um, 
this so the um but before you say anything else on that that scene in particular i think is the thing that breaks down the barrier of this movie for a lot of people because it's 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 a scene that teaches you how to appreciate the music you're going to hear Mm -hmm. like it lays it all out from a character who is speaking to you in very obvious simple terms you know he's not throwing crazy verbiage at you and he's not talking down to you he's just saying this is this is the emotion of what this is I, i think it's a brilliant scene i'm glad you like it oh yeah it's it's by far my favorite of the film because it is it is basically it's 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 breaking it down in layman terms for me, right? And and the cutbacks from the the, the priest or whatever the fuck the pastor that he's talking to, yeah, uh, is brilliant because you can just see him getting absorbed into this story, right? Because he's at the beginning he's kind of just treating him like a crazy old man, and then by the end of it he's he's completely enthralled and needs to know more more. Just give me more of the story, like I need to know more of it, and that is uh, that's a tribute to uh, the story that he's telling. I mean. So was this so again going back to what I was expecting was this the movie I was expecting not at all not at all like mm. I remember seeing bits and pieces like snippets of uh Tom Holtz and how he portrayed Mozart even pictures you can see that he's not what you picture Mozart to be right mm-hmm. he's just he look he just looks like this wild and crazy fucking guy with a, a crazy hair even when he doesn't have a wig on he's got fucking crazy ass hair um um, so the humor that comes in the movie is something that really surprised me. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, there's no slapstick. There's no, there's no physical comedy here. Um, but it's a subtlety that this, and it's mostly delivered by, by Mozart, but it's absorbed by Salieri and the way he reacts to a lot of the shit that happens here mm. is what makes this film, uh, entertainment for me. Mm. I am not a like okay, so we're both not fucking opera guys. Sure. There's so much more here. There's so right. much more storytelling going on than just the operas. There's a lot of fucking opera. Let's yeah. not let's not throw on the bush. Um, the editing in this film is quick and it's to the point. One scene, Mozart thinks up an idea for a fucking uh, uh, an opera. The next scene, they're fucking full production. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no. There's no in-betweens of him uh, working on it for fucking years. I mean, there is that. But for the most part, the the editing's quick and to the point. I got an idea for an opera. You should do that. Boom. We're seeing that opera live in the next scene. It's right right straight to the point. And it's not about the opera. It's not about how that opera is affecting the audience. It's about how it's affecting Mozart and and, uh, and Salieri Mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the characters that are surrounding them. And that, that's where the story is, and that's how it flows for me, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, I mean, it, something you said, it's, it's all about um, Salieri's reaction to things Mozart does. That starts at their first meeting um, when, well, technically their second meeting, but so Mozart arrives to meet the Emperor of Vienna, and Salieri has composed a, an entrance march for him, right? So hands it to the Emperor, he says, let me give this a try. Starts playing the music at the at the piano. Mozart comes in, and uh, he says, uh, "Salieri's made this for you. Here, here you go." Hands him the paper. He's like, "Oh no, keep the paper. I have it." He's like, "Really? You you memorized it all?" He's like, "I think so." He's like, "Show me." Sits down, starts playing it, and he's like, "There it is. 
that's it, right? And he's and he, and he looks at Salieri, and and it's it's brilliant <laughs> because Mozart is one hundred percent invested in the music in that moment. Yeah. He has no ego. I I feel in this moment where he's literally just oh that's it, right? Like 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 as if he achieved being able to play the thing. Salieri takes it as oh that's not good enough for you, and then right on point, Mozart adds all these different flourishes. Changes the key of the, I think the third bar, and turns it into this like like really lively march right in front of him, and essentially, you know, just makes Salieri look um, like a lesser composer in front of his boss. Um, That that is the stuff that this movie is brilliant at. Um, It's a great scene because not only is that whole exchange, I'll get to I'll get to a little bit more about that in a second, but the inclusion of Jeffrey Jones, who I had no idea was in this film. as the doofus fucking emperor. Like, mm-hmm. so I love this whole scene because it, and it's all because of Sally. It's all because of F. Murray Abraham here, because so he writes this piece and he, you, you know, just by the, just by the way he's acting, he's written this piece to not impress the emperor. He's written this piece to impress Mozart. Right. right. So he wants to fucking play this and to show Mozart what he's all about when he walks into the room. Right. So Jeffrey Jones comes in and fucks that all up. And right. you can see, you can see Salieri struggling to like let him play it because obviously he's the emperor and he can't tell him not to. Mm. And he's just so he's and he's like, oh, you're butchering this. This is fucking awful. Mozart walks in, kind of like unannounced. There's no big fucking entrance or anything. And while Jeffrey jo- or Emperor is playing it, so then Salieri's a little, you know, he's embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So then Mozart sits down and makes it better. Right. And like you said, Salieri's like, oh, it's not good enough for you. But then at some point during him playing it, realizes, no, that wasn't good enough. This right. is fuck way better than what I've done. And that moment you can see the respect and hatred all come together. It's it's such a great character because, it, 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 honestly, Salieri is why I love the movie. It, it's just he's such a unique perspective on, on this, like, genius. And the movie, in a meta way, is this almost commentary on, like, criticism. You know, because as much as he hates Mozart, I know I mentioned this before, he cannot deny the genius of it. Like he he understands this is the greatest composer I have ever seen. And I want him dead. Like (laughs) he holds those two ideas in his head at the same time. And you see the logic of him, the old man version of him that you see at the beginning of the movie. You see this whole story play out. And then his interpretation of what happened, you see how he justifies that perspective. While right. a normal person who's not connected to it could look at that and say, what a tragedy that that man was buried in a pauper's grave. This one guy says, oh, God killed him so that I couldn't take credit for the Requiem. It's like, really? Like, that? <laughs> that's what you get out of that, man? Holy shit. <laughs> um, speaking of the Requiem, I did pull one more clip from the movie. Um right. It's the scene that has stuck with me every time I've watched this, and I didn't pull a ton from it, but you mentioned the idea of music being um, used in the movie dynamically, right? So one of the things that's that's interesting with this movie is that there are scenes where Salieri is reading music, and then he'll turn the page to another song, and another song starts, right? Right in the middle of, of a stanza. Like, it doesn't matter. And he'll turn to another page, and another song starts, it's as if you're in Salieri's head reading the music with him. And and the movie does this thing where it's always making sure that the music is front and center, but not in a way that 
um, overpowers the emotion of what's happening. You know, it's difficult to describe, I guess. But this scene, when Mozart is dictating the writing of the Requiem at the end of the film, always stuck with me for the way that Tom Hulse is simultaneously singing pieces and then sort of bringing the instruments in with his fist. Um, It's just a little clip, but let me play this. Of music in that scene, um, especially, but um, maybe a little difficult to hear over a podcast. But if you go back and watch the movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's it's really interesting. But um, another scene just like that is the very end of the film when he is when when Salieri goes to his deathbed basically to help him finish. Oh, that's the, that's the scene. That's what I just played. Yeah, that's okay, so it's yes. it's extended, and you get you get to see you get to hear his instructions being yelled out, right? And, you know, every time, yeah, you're right. Every time he moves his hands, you hear another instrument come in and then, oh, it's just, it's just such a fucking great scene. And, and there's a lot in that scene too, because at that point, like at the beginning of the movie, Celery, he's, he's not, he's upset, right? He's upset that he killed Mozart. And I, and I feel like the whole, the, the, the beginning of the, or the first whatever hour and the first, let's say the first 95% of the film you you see the buildup as to why he would want him dead, but I feel like that last scene is why he went mad because he died. Because yeah. I think like Larry felt important to him, he felt the the mutual respect there. Like you know what I mean? Like I right. felt like he like he really wanted him to help him finish this this fucking fake fucking you know this fake song that he's having him make right. uh, for no other reason than to just be a part of his life. Well. It, it, you can also imagine a scenario where if Mozart lives, I mean, his life has just changed radically. You know, he gets the validation from his peer. Um, you know, we see a scene of Mozart mocking him at that party earlier in the movie. But after Salieri gets the context that Mozart says to him and he says, I thought you didn't care for my music. I think that's kind of a learning moment for the both of them. Like, oh, I've been mocking this guy, but... He respects me. I should respect him. Like I, I almost feel like if Mozart lives, there, it, it's just a different dynamic from then on out. You know. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. But the real tragedy of it is that his death changes changes both of. I mean, obviously both both of their lives, but like really changes Salieri's life and become. You know, he becomes that old man as a result of it. Ultimately, but um, you mentioned mozart's father our, our man roy Dutrice. what about him stood out because he's not a, a character that ever really stands out to me on rewatches but i, I want to hear this i love his I, so i love his introduction to the film how mm-hmm. he's, he's like he looks like death at the top of the stairway all in dark and then and again the music accompanying it it makes it so much better he puts his arms out like he's dracula it's such a grand entrance for him and it's fucking amazing and then you go into the and then you go into the apartment 
and uh, Mozart is trying to like you know explain why it's such a mess and why his wife's still sleeping and all that shit. All while there's a giant frame picture of his father behind right. him. Like, <laughs> so you, get, you get the power of this character without him ever really. You like you don't need a backstory for him so much as just to see that framed fucking painting of him. Um, I love. I just love his uh, reaction to the wife. We'll get to the. I really want to talk about the wife later. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just um, his. They bring him his I feel like his scenes, his little interaction there that maybe it's like an half hour, 45 minutes of him in the film are some of the funniest scenes for me because he brings him to this party, Jack. Now, (laughs) have you ever ever just decided like on a whim to go out one night? Like, hey, let's just go do something. I'm sure you have. Sure. I'm pretty sure (laughs) you've never been to this party where everybody gets in like the most exotic fucking garb costumes and giant masks to go play a fucking elaborate game of musical chairs Mm. in this this like nightclub of some sort is it the musical chair nightclub i don't know what it is it's fucking incredible there's rules set out Mozart knows all the rules. Everyone knows the fucking rules. It's an unbelievable fucking party in this bar or where the fuck it is. I don't even know if it's a bar. Um, but it, and his dad, so his dad's fucking, he's dancing around. You know he doesn't want to be there. His fucking mask is literally his face underneath. Like, he just hates everything about this. <laughs> and he's fucking playing musical chairs, which is making me laugh the entire fucking time. I don't know, man. I, I just love this guy. I love how he fucking, he comes in. He doesn't say much, but you know everything about this dude, man. You know everything about his disappointment, his fucking, his wishes for Mozart to fucking, uh, you know, not accept that money, not accept the fucking, um, the, the maid. You just, there's just, just this, this fucking royalty about this guy. Mm. And it's so different from what Mozart's fucking portraying uh, on screen. It's great. It's a great contrast. Yeah, I think there's a you know we we watch the theatrical cut, which is actually a pain in the ass to find for some reason. Um, well, the, I have to say, yeah, I thought I watched the theatrical cut. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, so you watched the director's cut? I did. There's oh, a little okay. DC in the file name after I put it on. And I saw it was three hours. I was like, wait a minute. Ah, uh, all right, okay, that that's all right. So so there's. Yeah, I I looked at the differences and it's 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 really not that much. No, no, it, it's. It's one of those things where it's kind of like almost famous to me where the the original cut is just it's paced better, you know. Um, yeah. But in any case, so that's okay. So that's interesting. You did see the director's cut because I was going to say I believe there are a few scenes or at least one scene that's added with the father. Um, so that might have helped your your love of him. But but yeah, I mean, think about that scene even further. So you decide to take your father, who is definitely. Um, let's just call him conservative, right? Um, you go to a game of musical chairs where your wife has to go up on stage and then show her junk to the crowd as punishment for not getting a seat. I, I mean, you must have known that was in, like, the range of outcomes. I, I don't know. I feel like it's not the party to take, you know, conservative daddy to, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of my mind there, so. <laughs> I don't know. Um... So, yeah, one thing you mentioned that I'm glad you picked up on was the whole concept of um, the pacing of the film in regards to the way that they just cut to the relevant information all the time, right? Um, You get one scene where Mozart is doing rehearsals for a play, 
And then you never need to see another one of those because you understand, you know, as he's calling people out when they start singing, you know, leading, rushing, leading, like whiplash, right? Um, he knows – you know that he has the musical confidence to run that stuff. You don't need to see every play rehearsal to, to get the idea across. Um, right. And I know that there's a lot more in the movie regarding the specific plays that are being put on and the specific operas. I know that the one where he faints at, that's the magic flute. That's, I don't know, probably his most famous play that I've heard of at least. I remember like reading about that in second or third grade. Um, but there's just a lot of um, – let me pose a question to you. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, but the best way I can word it is like this. I feel that this story would still work if it was a totally different genre and a totally different era. Okay, it doesn't I don't think that this movie needs to be Mozart. What do you think of that? Like do you, do you feel like this has potential for somebody to come along and like maybe make another version of this that's equally great? Yeah, I, I mean absolutely I do. I, I like I said earlier when I was just describing that, there is opera in this film, but this film is not about those operas. Yeah. Those operas could very well be films if this was about a director yeah. or or just recordings if this was about a, a, another musical act like a, a fucking 90s grunge this, this was about fucking Kurt Cobain you know what I mean like this right this, absolutely agree with that statement yeah yeah um so let me throw a little bit of trivia at you because some of these are, are pretty good um so a lot of people talk about uh Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon as being one of the only films shot with natural light this is another one no light bulbs are used for any of the lighting in this movie it's all done via natural light and candles, and then if they had to diffuse things, they would just tape up, like, tracing paper on the windows or whatever the light source was to, to make it look, you know, real. Um, so pretty pretty cool. Um, <laughs> one of the early candidates for Salieri, I I would love to see this movie, with fucking Burt Reynolds. <laughs> so, I don't know, but, you know, I might be into it. Um uh, so three people who played uh, Mozart on stage in the uh, the Broadway production. Uh, the first one's Simon Callow. So Simon Callow's in the movie. He is the guy who's running, like, the vaudeville theater. Um, you know, one of Mozart's friends slash the guy who's going to, like, pay him. He's dressed up like a clown in a bunch of scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. He's also the bad guy in Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. That's what I always know him from. <laughs> um, oh. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, so he he played the Mozart in the original production, and then um, Tim Curry has played him on stage, and then also Mark Hamill. So, um, oh wow, pretty interesting. And then as far as who auditioned to play Mozart for the movie, Tim Curry did, and then Mick Jagger and Mel Gibson. Love to see Mel Gibson in this role. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so interesting stuff there. Anything else you want to say about the movie before we we start kind of closing up the conversation here? Yeah, I want to talk about uh, the wife Constance okay. for a little bit because I think she I think she's my favorite part of the film. All right, that I, I like I like Solari, I like Mozart, I like that. But and I love her because I, I love the way her character is handled in a way that I completely was not expecting it. So Mozart, he's on screen, he's on stage. And he's got, uh, you know, he, he had just basically stolen Salieri's student and put her in the lead role of one of his operas. Remember this scene? Right. This is another quick cut. We go from her 
audition, or I mean practicing with um, Salieri to a quick cut of her being on stage in the middle of fucking Mozart's uh, opera, which is a great cut. I, I This is like one of the very first ones, and I was kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Like, mm. he, she, he doesn't even know her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what was going on. Right. And obviously, they go back and they explain what happened, and, and it's great. I love the way they tell that story. So she's on skate after after they're done, they, you know, and uh, Mozart's on stage with her and all this. And then uh, all of a sudden you hear somebody calling from the audience, Mozart, Mozart, Mozart. Mm. And um, it's uh, it's his fiance's mother, you find out. So as this is set up, and I've seen a lot of films in my life, as this is set up, what I'm thinking is this fiance he has is going to be this piece of shit woman that he's just fucking around on the whole movie she's not going to be uh relevant other than to show mozart's kind of downside his dark side um how he is an awful person but uh either this this main girl on stage right now or or a plethora of women are going to be involved in his life throughout the film mm-hmm. so constance gets this little bitty scene at the beginning and then literally owns i feel Every fucking scene she has for the rest of the film, she is fucking phenomenal. And I was completely blown away by that. I thought she was going to be like a throwaway character. Just from that little introduction, the way she was introduced, I thought it was going to be like a a necessary evil to show Mozart's downfall of, uh, of, of just being a human being in the position that he's in. But she is fucking fantastic, Jeff. Mm. She is fucking fantastic. The way that she kind of um, fights with the father, you know, doesn't want the maid, uh, takes his fucking his writings to Salieri uh, behind his back, fucking gets naked and wants to is go, actually going to bang Salieri just to get him to fucking uh, put Mozart in the in the in the position that she wants him to put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's fucking she's honestly one of the biggest surprises of the film for me. Um like in the while I'm watching it, you know what I mean? Like once I introduced to her, I was like, oh, well, this is going to be nothing. But then to be such a powerful character, I was blown away by her. Absolutely loved her in this movie. That's awesome. Um, I kind of I, I always forget about just how how interesting of a character she is, because she goes from, you know, OK, she's like the she's like a toy in the first scene. Right. Where he's like chasing her under the desk and all that stuff. And they're just kind of fooling around, whatever. And Salieri like kind of snoops on yes. him. And she shows up, and you're right, she owns every scene. But even when, um, what's his name, Simon Callow's character approaches Mozart to, you know, eventually write the magic flute for his vaudeville, the first thing she says is, how much will you pay him, you know, up front? And it, it, it can be taken in a route of, like, okay, she's she's greedy. But that's not it at all. Like, you've seen how Mozart lives his life, and... Mm-hmm somebody has to be the adult and be like, we have bills to pay and we have a kid. Like we need money. Like how much are you going to pay him? I need to know that up front. And then you can go and work on this thing. Once we, you know, know that we're going to have a roof over our head and some food. Um, It's a really important character. You're you're right. I'm glad you called that out because I I wasn't originally going to say anything about that, but that's, that's a great aspect of the movie. Because this character has been, you know, you get a lot of these biopics, and I know this isn't officially in a biopic, but uh, you get these biopics of these very famous people and their wives. And while those wives have given good performances, they're always kind of in the background, and you're and they're just there for you to feel sorry for them. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what that that character 
uh, 98% of the time is there for. Mm-hmm. But she's like, she's more than that, right? Like she, she really, yeah, she really fucking has a control over him and can, and it's one of the few characters that can tell him what to do. And, and she really fucking flourishes in that role. She's really good, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome that you called that out. Um, all right, man. The only other question I had for you on this was: Did this remind you of any other films or stories? Like, I, cool. I, I honestly can't think of anything specifically, but I know that there have been instances where I'm like, "Oh, that's a that's like a Salieri character," you know? Like, it's it's kind of become an archetype, but I just can't think of any of the other stories that use the archetype. Yeah. Yeah, not specifically the way this is told with the, the, the contrast of the two main characters. I mean, it's it's pretty brilliant in that aspect. I, I, I can't really – ah, fuck. I, don't, I, I can't really compare this to anything. I mean, the one movie that does pop into my head is almost famous. But, you know, that's a different dynamic. The, the two main characters are – it's a different – like one's there to just interview him. You know what I mean? And, and kind of – yeah. Um, like just and kind of learn about him. Well, Salieri's uh, a whole different character in that aspect. But it's like it's like it's it is watching the downfall of an icon of a, of a genius and just kind of seeing what they're going through and the involvement of that other character in their life. So that that's kind of the only movie that kind of comes mm-hmm. to mind. It's not. It's it's. I mean, it's it's a very different film than Almost Famous. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, not not to show my hand too much. We're getting around to rating time here, but this is just a movie that I I have loved, and I have had a hard time convincing other people to watch because I think that, like I said at the top, it, it just doesn't it doesn't jive with the way that it's perceived. I, I think I think it's a way different story than what you think going in. Um, did you get that feeling at the end of this? Like, did it was I kind of on? on point with that or oh uh, you i mean you're 100 percent right i would never watch this i did not bet for this series of shows that we're doing i mean if, yeah. it, if we're not doing this show and we're recording a binge cast one night and you're like jim you should really watch uh, uh, amadeus i'd be like oh, okay yeah I, exactly. you know but i wouldn't i wouldn't watch it like there, there I, it would give there's no reason for me to watch this film that's what i've always felt like uh ever since you know um I, I've been watching movies at work basically when I need literally need to fill my night. I still wouldn't have picked this film. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, just so this, this doesn't get uh, too long in the tooth here. I think it's good time for ratings. Um, All right. so I, I've kind of said my piece on this. Um, I love this movie. I've loved it since I first saw it. Honestly, it's, it's something about it just resonates with me. I, I love music. I love, you know, obviously I, I play a little bit of guitar. I'm not that great, but I love playing it, you know. And um, there's something about the way that the script describes music that that just like speaks to me, you know. Um, I know we we talked a little bit about the one scene where Salieri breaks it down, keeps it very simple. But there's a, there's just like this admiration for it that I I feel with, you know, say uh, Springsteen or the Who or the Beatles, like. I feel like I hear those things in those groups um, that he's talking about here with Mozart's music. So I, I come back to this, I don't know, once every couple of years, and I, I always enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's it's a favorite of mine. This, this is a 10 on 10 for me. Um, how, how do you sit with it? Um, so this movie's, at the end of it all, this movie's about performance 
and writing and both of those are pretty top notch in my book like um i you know it's hard pressed to find a movie in this era fuck i was just naming off a bunch of 84 movies um none of them were like this mm. like even close to this i can go i can go even deeper uh beverly hills cop starman red dawn spinal tap uh fucking the woman in red supergirl friday the 13th the final chapter star trek the toxic avenger yeah. There's a theme there of of just like fucking you know, film fancy fucking pop music. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. just like a shit that 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 is is fun on the eyes. It's comfort and, and, food, right? Exactly. Yeah. This isn't that. This is this is this stands out on its own in its era, and it holds up really well to this day. It this is a movie you can watch. It it is it's a timepiece, I guess. Yes. But it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily like you couldn't watch this and say, oh, fuck, this was made in 84. And yeah. no way in fuck hell could anyone ever say that. Yeah. You could say, I don't know if this was made fucking last year or 1960. And that's saying something about a film, man. Yeah. So they nailed everything about that. Now, the use of music's fantastic. I don't I'm not necessarily a fan of the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, there's better music in film. Oh, yeah. But the way you use the music in the film is what is important to me. Yeah. The, the, and the things that we've touched on in this conversation um, of him describing the music or or at the end when Mozart's literally writing a, a piece, he's like, oh, A minor, B minor, F flat. And, 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 and like, I don't know what he's saying, but the music's playing in the background to let me know what he's saying. And that's yeah. fucking brilliant. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, man, this is a timeless fucking movie. And that's rare. That's mm. fucking really rare that you can watch a film and not know when, what year it was made. And I appreciate it for that. Mm. This is a, this is an easy uh, first watch. I only watched it once. I'm not watching it three hours or twice. Of course. Um, um, this, is a, this is an easy eight on 10 for me. Easy. Nice. Nice. Very nice. All right, man. Um, well, hopefully this conversation helped reinforce uh, your feelings. It sounded like you liked it going into it. So hopefully uh, – Hopefully you still like it just as much. Hopefully I didn't knock anything down for you. Um, no, absolutely. I definitely no, this, encourage. Oh yeah, go ahead. This, this conversation would pumped it up if anything. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I encourage everybody if you've listened to this and you haven't watched the movie yet, go watch the movie. I, I this is one like I will I'll take to my grave. I think this is underrated. I really do. I know it's got the accolades, but like everybody's forgotten about this movie. This movie is a fucking classic in my eyes. I think it holds up. You obviously just heard what Law said, so, you know, maybe give it a shot. But definitely try and find the theatrical cut, though. You don't need the three hours, trust me. But um, All right. Other than that, uh, 708-406-9546 is the telephone number. You can call and leave us a voicemail. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon. You can find us there at Binge Media and obviously at BingeMedia.net. Um, Law, you got anything else? That's it, man. Uh, this is fun. It was a good time. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been The Docket, and uh, I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. 
You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Buy some merch at BingeMedia.net slash shop. Subscribe to our newsletter at BingeMedia.net slash newsletter. And don't forget, I didn't stop giving hand jobs because I was good at it. I stopped giving hand jobs because I was the best at it. <laughs>